Hey, May, what's up? Hey, I just reviewed the episode we recorded on our own, you know, without Jed's help, and it sounds pretty good. Uh-huh. Oh, awesome. Look at us being our own sound engineers. Like, it's almost like after a year, we, we know what we're doing or something. Yeah, well, we also totally forgot to record the cold open. Oh, man. Hello, and welcome to Science Brunch. I'm Katie McKissick, a.k.a. Beatrice the Biologist, and I'm here with my good friend, May Prince. Hello. And we're going to start talking into microphones now. Is that okay with everybody? We're good? We're good. Oh, God. So we always start with a sort of science starter, sciencey newsy appetizer situation. Yep. So, May, I hope you have something to dazzle me because... I, I'm going to try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell. So actually today I'm totally slacking off and oh. I'm not doing my own science starter. What? Instead, I'm going to ask our, our engineer, our sound engineer and oh. editor extraordinaire, Jed Kim, to give a science starter because Plot he did twist. something pretty awesome. And I thought it was, I thought it was science brunch worthy. Definitely. It's definitely cooler than anything we've ever done. So I was, was going to. Okay. I'm, I'm interested, but I'm also offended. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting I, mix of I think emotions. That's, that's, I think that's the right mix to be. So, um, yeah, so I'm just going uh, like, to. Hello. It's Jed. <laughs> How are you doing? Big fan. First time. <laughs> first time caller. Oh man. So, yeah, so uh, the reason I'm doing this is because I uh, got the opportunity to uh, meet and interview a pretty cool scientist not too long ago. And, uh, yeah, so. What? Yeah. What's wanna... happening? Well, let's see if you can tell who I got to meet. Oh. Are you stalking me or something? <laughs> Any idea who that was no, from that I... very short blurb? No. Come on, she's alive. Okay. She has some sort of accent. I feel like that narrows it down, no? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, was it a British accent? Well, I do have more, okay. which should probably give it away at this point. Okay. But uh, so uh, just a little bit of setup. People are crowded into this room and they're wanting to take pictures with this very famous scientist. Uh-huh. Say algae. 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 Chimpanzee. Chimpanzee. Oh, I was That's right. I got the chance to meet and interview Jane Goodall. Oh, my God. That's so cool. <laughs> so what was going on was that uh, there was a uh, there, there's this high school in Los Angeles called Environmental Charter High School. And uh, they focus on the environment and, and sciences. And they found out, I think it was like a week before she was available, that she was going to come like visit them. So they scrambled, they got all these people like from different high schools to come present like science presentations to her because she was going to come give this big keynote address. And How intimidating is that, by the way? Oh, my God. It is pretty intimidating. In fact, like I went to this room where all these students were waiting to talk to Jane Goodall and wow. they're just like presenting to her. And she was great. She was just like listening very patiently, nodding along, asking questions every now and then. And this was like 14 different presentations. So uh, she was very gracious. But um, I uh, saw one of the students was just like waiting, just waiting her turn. And uh, her name is Andrea. She's 14 years old. She's a freshman at Environmental Charter High School. And uh, I asked her, you know, how she's doing. Um, We have Jane Goodall at our school. And... Um, we're about to present to her some projects that we have done throughout the school year. And you're going to be talking to her? Uh, yeah. How are you feeling? Kind of nervous. <laughs> Why? Because um, she's like a really big deal in um, animal studies and she's like gave like given us so much, I don't know, I just can't, she's just a big deal. <laughs> What did your parents uh, say when you told them? I don't think they know. (laughs) So, yeah, she did a good job. I I was uh, watching just to see, you know, how the presentations would go. And uh, the students, they uh, held up on their own. So I was like, you know, how much do these students actually appreciate Jane Goodall? You know, I feel like even I, uh, in my youth, I knew who she was, but... You know, I'm quite a bit older than a freshman in high school. And so uh, one of the teachers, you know, I, I you know, asked her. Her name is Jessica Diaz. For our generation, she was a big name. But for the kiddos, 
like they don't see her on TV and so they don't know who so there was like like you kind of had to explain like why scientifically like she's such an important person and for the world and it just seemed like uh, this is like a cool opportunity I felt like this is something that I don't know you get to say you met Jane Goodall and that just like locks you in for for STEM for the rest of your life yeah, seriously. My face hurts from smiling, you guys. Um, yeah, when I taught, and this was te- almost 10 years ago, so it's kind of a long time ago, my students are a different generation than these students. But uh, So high school kids 10 years ago, when I talked about Jane Goodall, they related to her as the person that was on The Simpsons because oh they had God. a Simpsons character. You know, they had, you know, she made an appearance or whatever on The Simpsons. That is cool, not cool, you guys. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I and I actually didn't know what they were talking about because I hadn't seen that Simpsons episode. Although maybe there were more, maybe there was more than one, I'm not sure. Hmm. But that that was so interesting to me that that was to, to them, their generation, who she was. Yeah. And like, she's been around for so long because a couple weeks after this event at the high school, she turned 83 years old. I was just going to say, how old is she? Yeah. yeah. She just turned 83, like, last month. So she's still traveling the world and doing appearances at high schools. Like, it's just, it's really cool. My grandma is around that age, and she doesn't do that. <laughs> I know. My grandmother doesn't do that either. I mean, God. my grandma's pretty cool. So boring. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ah. Uh. No, that's really impressive. I mean, I think... I think being, yeah, such a mover and a shaker kind of keeps you young. It's like, she's just like a shark. It's just like, you got to keep moving. That's how you breathe. Just keep going. Just Jane Goodall is exactly like a shark, you guys. Yeah, and she totally has her messaging on point. Uh, she, you know, doing that chimpanzee instead of cheese. She was carrying around with her this little stuffed chimpanzee with a banana. It was adorable. Oh, that's so cool. And as nervous as the students were, I was, uh, you know, I was pretty nervous too because I was thinking like, I'm going to, interview Jane Goodall like I have to come up with something good to ask yeah what did you ask her my goodness well I was I thought you know we got this current political climate these attitudes about science and uh, I decided uh, I'll ask her about that and uh, she was talking about uh, climate change you're talking about the human impact on on climate how are you seeing that manifested in your studies you see it in every single place I go and I'm traveling 300 days a year around the world everywhere I go they say well at this time of year uh, the weather's usually different so it's either dry and they say normally it's raining or else it's raining and they say normally it's dry um, I've been in Greenland and seen the water pouring out and the the icebergs carving and the elders have said it never used to melt here even in the summer i've been to panama and other places where indigenous people have already had to leave their island homes because at high tide the sea levels have risen because of the melting ice Uh, coral reefs are being killed because of the acidification in the ocean and you know you can go on and on and on the effects of climate change are everywhere That's a very bleak tour to be taking. How is that uh, impacting you personally? It's impacting me in that I'm a very obstinate kind of creature and it makes me feel that we have to fight even harder. We have to do even more as individuals to counteract this trend that's already there. And we can't reverse it quickly like that, but we can slow it down. And we can slow it down by the actions we take each day if enough people wake up and take those ethical choices. What we eat, what we wear, how we how we go through life each day. So yeah, she's eighty three and she's just like nonstop. And awesome. Yeah. It boggles my mind. Well, I decided that I know you guys have done an episode on Jane Goodall, and I figured I'd throw you guys a bone. So I asked a question specifically for you. Do you have a favorite brunch food? A favorite brunch food item. Oh brunch. my god. Um. Well, I don't usually have brunch. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, well, I'm a vegetarian, for one. Um, favorite foods, I, I so little think about food. I eat what's there. And, you know, obviously some foods are nicer than others, but I, I, people keep asking me what's my favorite food. I don't know. Yeah, so I made a fool of myself and a Jane Goodall oh, for Jane. you guys. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. Oh, that's why That's why Jed's the best. Oh, my God. But I'm yeah, dying. I, I know. It's it's just funny. She, yeah, she probably doesn't, she's used to being out in the woods and eating, yeah. you know, like a handful of almonds or something. 
I don't know what she eats. But yeah, she sounds amazing and clearly still on the mission too. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. So thank you very much, Jane Goodall, for you didn't know, but it was all because of us that you got asked a stupid (laughs) question about brunch. Oh my god. Wow. But yeah, she's, I don't know, she's still a hero of our generation in yeah. STEM, and hopefully the I next generation so can admire her and get a new hero as well, because mm. I don't know, it's very formative. Like, you know, we're still starstruck by her, and yeah. we're in our 30s. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I don't know if I would be able to hold it together if I was to ask her something. <laughs> you look over at Katie just fainting in the corner. <laughs> I'll just start crying. It'll Probably. be like those, those Beatles concert videos where you're just like screaming for no reason. Yeah. And people are like, hello, can you please keep it down in front of track? Yeah, I don't know if words would come out. I think it might just be gibberish. Like like sometimes like when I get really excited about something, it's almost like my mouth doesn't keep up with my brain. So I, I'll start talking really quickly and I'll seriously stumble over over my words so just like nonsense comes out and I have to stop and say okay let me find find the one in this in this musical bar like okay let's start over again but I probably would be like that I would probably just be you'd think that you were saying words but then when you listen to the audio later you're just making word vomit probably to Jane Goodall and then she's like being very nice in return yeah Yeah. she would probably just kind of nod and back away slowly (laughs) or pat me on the head and say that's all right dear thanks Jane. I know. So yeah, that's our science starter for today. Went a little longer than usual, but wow. I thought it might be worth it. Yeah. You don't get that opportunity a whole lot. So thanks, Jed. Thank you. <laughs> wow. All right. So who who are we actually covering today? I don't even care anymore. <laughs> Which is the we ten, should just stop ten the episode minute episode right now. we're done. Like, <laughs> this is it's not gonna get any better. You guys should just like move on, just listen to something else. Just so sorry. Quit listening right now. Go don't watch even, some Simpsons. Uh, Whatever. Well anyway, like, who I was planning on talking about. <laughs> uh, his name is Richard. Mm-hmm. His last name is Feynman. Ah. Feynman. Man who is fain. <laughs> is that a word? Have you heard of him? Yes, I, I have. I have heard of him. Had you heard of him before yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, guys. <laughs> like, I heard all sorts of things. Yeah, <laughs> so I, we, really early on when we were deciding who to talk about, um, we, you know, obviously wanted to talk about equal numbers of men and women, and we wanted to have diversity in like lots of different ways. And in general, we've been, you know, inviting scientists to have brunch with us. That's, you know, the it's science brunch. Let's yeah. invite cool people and we'll exactly. hang out with their dead people. What? In our Wait. fantasy world, yeah. we can hang out with and, you know, nerdy we, people we, at brunch. We, yes, and we yeah, talk about what they the might dream. have. Yeah, we they, we talk about what they might have for brunch and who plays them in a movie and whatever. <laughs> and so in general, we've been picking people for the most part that we would want to hang out with because mm-hmm. we're virtually hanging out, hanging out with them in our imaginations. Exactly. Uh, this is someone that I've heard you know such mixed things about. Uh, I wanted to wait a while before we covered someone who was a little more complicated because mm-hmm. in general, people that we have covered have been pretty nice in, in most respects. Yeah. Feynman is one of those. If you don't know uh, who he is, he was a physicist and he is sort of a complicated character because people um, f- love him for his science. But then when you kind of find out more about him and who he was as a person, you might not feel as great because he could be kind of a jerk. Yeah. So he's, yeah, it's complicated. But and he was a hotshot in his field, like right. theoretical physics. He was the guy. Yeah, so he's, so he's a controversial character, and I wanted to wait a little while before we talked about him, but here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Season three is getting mm-hmm. real. <laughs> anyway, well, uh, so anyway, he was born in 1918. Mm-hmm. Guess what happens later? What? Oh, oh, we're going to skip over it. But anyway, so he was born in 1918 in Queens. Okay. And uh, he, yeah, from a very early age, it was pretty clear that he was pretty darn smart. He, I found it interesting that he kind of like Einstein was a late talker. Mm. Not as late as some of like urban legends will lead you to believe. But yeah, he was um, a late talker and he very early on really liked tinkering he liked fixing radios that was kind of his his hobby as a little kid hmm. and apparently one day when he was left home and his parents ran some errands he uh built a home security system <laughs> all by himself 
what Oops. that's why you don't leave children unsupervised yeah <laughs> they start building weird things um uh, he has a had a little sister named Joan, mm-hmm. who he was uh, was it nine years older then, um, and uh, they were really close. And from the time that she was a toddler, he started teaching her math and sort of oh, um, wow. yeah would uh, teach her little things, taught her about right triangles. I don't know, just like little mathematical things. Like basically, was like quizzing her on Pythagorean you know stuff when she wow. was Did like a little kid. Did your siblings teach you any of this stuff? Never, right? <laughs> My brother would sometimes come back from school. He's only two years older than me, so uh-huh. it wasn't like it was wildly different. Um, but yeah, he would come back from school, and he it was it wasn't more so much that he would like to teach me something. He would just learn something new and be like, "Did you know that this and this and this?" And I would kind of go, "Yeah, <laughs> of course I knew that." <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> totally knew about fractions (laughs) not blowing my mind at all and he uh when she was a little bit older he paid her a very small allowance which was like two cents a week to help him in his lab by like flipping switches when he needed (laughs) stuff to work he could like across your like flip that switch and she'd be like okay (laughs) so So she was like the igor yeah okay but yeah it sounds really cute and they were really close and then um uh, one night he sneaked her out of the house you know, mm-hmm. after dark and they went to this you know, nearby, I think they said it was a golf course or something. Maybe it was just a park. But anyway, there was an aurora happening in the sky and he wanted awesome. her to see it. So he sneaked her out of the house and he was like, look up there. And she was like, oh my God. And that was what she wound up studying when what? she got older. So really? that was kind of, it really inspired her. Yeah, she, she, actually, I think she was the first person to explain what an aurora is. Wow. Because she studied... The solar wind, which is hmm. the energy and particles that the sun gives off all the time, yeah. that would bombard us with so much radiation. But our our planet's uh, magnetosphere, which is the you know the area around our planet where basically it interacts with the solar wind and shields us from it. Mm-hmm. So uh, auroras are when some of those particles trickle down and they react with uh, gases in the atmosphere, and then those gases emit light, just like. What is this called? Fluorescent lights. It's kind of like that. It's yeah. like it excites the electrons and then they fall back down. They, you know, release light. And so it's like nitrogen is one color. Oxygen's a different color. That's why you get like the greens mm-hmm. and the reds and different gases. Anyway, so I thought that was pretty, pretty yeah, wild. That's why we get pretty lights instead of being fried to death. <clears throat> I've never seen an aurora. I haven't either. Not in person. I mean, I've seen pictures, but I heard that it doesn't do them justice. Yeah, I bet. Oh, God. I mean, I don't even understand. I don't even think I've seen a video, so I don't really know how much it moves, if it's like really rippling, yeah. or if it's like over an hour is what the ripple is. I think I've seen time lapse, so I don't really understand kind of what it actually looks like. There have been ones that are pretty, you know, far down latitude wise, because normally they happen up by the pole again, Mm -hmm. because it's a magnetic field situation. So it happens by the poles because that's where the magnetic field is kind of going. Um, But, uh, but yeah, so I got it. And I don't really know how often they happen. If I go to Alaska, what are the odds I'm going to see one? Aren't they like seasonal? Well, it it just depends on when there's a bunch of material coming from the sun. So it depends on the sun. It's like, was there a a coronal mass ejection recently? (laughs) Yeah, maybe the seasonal thing is like, it's easier to see because the planet is tilted one way or the other. Right, because it's dark enough you can see it or whatever. Um, But yeah, it's pretty cool. Hmm. Um, And auroras happen on other planets. Did you know that? Really? Did you know that? I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, If if a planet has a magnetosphere to interact with the stuff that the sun is sending. It has them. So Jupiter has them. Huh. Uh, Saturn has them. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty cool. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so back to Richard. Is that who we're talking about? I was just going to talk about Joan. <laughs> I know. We should have heard of her. <laughs> awesome. I was, I was almost thinking about how, you know, we'll call this episode the Richard Feynman episode, but it's like, <laughs> just kidding. We're just going to talk about Joan the Switcheroo. whole time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she wound up um, working at JPL. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and doing stuff. So... She so she studied auroras, but the other thing about studying, um, you know, solar wind from the sun is that it affects satellites because mm-hmm. they're out there, and some of them are like outside of the magnetosphere. So it's like right. they just get bombarded with all this radiation, and they have to be protected, or or they actually have to like turn, switch them off so mm-hmm. all of their stuff doesn't get fried when there's a big ejection like that. Yeah, and radiation it, is the big problem with space travel, right? Like that's yeah. what we're talking about. If we want to send people to Mars, like well. How do we protect them enough that they don't, they don't get fried on the way? Yeah. Space is, is difficult. It's inhospitable. Yeah, it's not like a great place to be. <laughs> uh, so... As, as cool as it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of 
there's a lot of stuff that's just trying to kill you up there. Even, yeah. Even more stuff maybe than down here on Earth. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh man. And yeah, I mean, that's why people that are on the space station for a long time, you know, you can't be up there for too long, even if you want to be, because mm-hmm. you're, you're being exposed to radiation and you gotta, you gotta come back. It's bad for you. It's mm. bad. Um, oh, by the way, I also saw Life. Do you remember that, that movie? That takes it's no. it's set on the on the space station. Oh no, you told you were telling me about it. Yeah, yeah, it's about. <laughs> I I give it like a B plus. Okay. So it's they're on the space station. There was a uh, a mission to Mars, a sample return mission to Mars in the future, where mm-hmm. like an uncrewed spacecraft goes to Mars, gets a sample from the surface, and then sends it back. And then uh, they had it, they received it at the ISS because they didn't want it to go back down to Earth just in case there's anything dangerous. Right. Spoiler alert, there is. Um, <laughs> of so, course there is. Yeah. And everything goes, and I, was, I was joking, I was like, oh yeah, it's about the sample return mission from Mars and everything just goes great. <laughs> everything goes to plan, the end. <laughs> yeah, so they get they get the sample and then, oh yeah, there's a, there's a living thing in there and... It turns out not to be super friendly. Oh, well. Of course not. <laughs> we never make aliens friendly, do we? I mean, since E.T. Like, yeah. yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. I want to I see a movie about going to Mars or something involving Mars where everything goes awesome. <laughs> Can I see that movie? I want that to be the plot twist is that it's like, and then this happened and that was good. And then something else happened. And it also was good. That I would end. totally watch it. People would die of suspense like, <laughs> waiting for something to go wrong. I mean, has wrong. that ever been done? Has there ever been a movie where the plot twist is that there is no plot twist? I would watch it. Yeah. I want it. It'd be so well, you'd cathartic. Have to, you'd like, have to get Shyamalan on board to do it. And then people would be like <laughs> waiting for it the entire time. And then the credits roll and they're like, wait, it was just a nice day on Mars? <laughs> What did I just watch? The end. <laughs> I'm on board. Hollywood, make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Richard, not that we care, went to, went to MIT. <laughs> it's so mean of him. He's still a kid at this point. <laughs> I'm so mean. I'm sorry, Richard. Oh, uh, he went to MIT and then went to Princeton. La, 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 la. Who cares? <laughs> Anyway, when he was in grad school, I thought this was so funny. It, it, part of his scholarship, and like, and like, because you usually when you get a PhD, you are being supported on, mm-hmm. with you know, so you don't have to work. And it's usually required that you not have outside work because it's like you should be just working on your PhD. Right. Like, don't get a job at Starbucks. There's no Starbucks back then, but don't do it. <laughs> anyway, but part of his scholarship was n- not to get married, which what? I'm like, that's weird if anything i think back then they'd be like definitely get married so that she can do all the dishes while you study (laughs) right but whatever for some reason i can see that being a requirement for ladies i know um anyway but uh so but he was still dating his uh high school sweetheart named arlene greenbaum Mm -hmm. and this is so sad so they were he would see her as much as he could she had tuberculosis Ah. so she died very young but he, and they, he did marry her as soon as he was done in 1942, and she died three years later. Ugh. And so, and for a good part of that, he was just seeing her on weekends mm. while she was in the hospital. During that time, he was with our buddy Oppenheimer doing atomic bomb stuff. Yeah, good old Robert. Yeah, so Manhattan Project was going on, and she was staying uh, very close by. So he would just on the weekends borrow someone's car and go see her at the hospital or, you know, the place where she was living. So they're out in the desert. Yeah. And they, like, drove to Arizona. See yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so he was on the Manhattan Project. We've talked enough about that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Manhattan really... Project. Look yeah. up the Robert Oppenheimer yeah. episode. So yeah, go, to, go yeah, talk to Robert um, <laughs> about that. He's a nice, he's a yeah, nice he's, guy. He's a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> And after he was done with that, he taught at Cornell and wound up at Caltech later. Mm. So at this point of his life, so his first wife dies. He, 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 he got married three times. His first wife dies. And then he finishes up with Manhattan Project, goes to Cornell. And sounds like he was kind of having a hard time. Like this is when he would like go to like strip clubs and stuff like that. And I've, I've heard, read something about prostitutes. Like, so he's just oh, kind of, land. you know, <laughs> Oh, my eh, stars. Okay. Like not something we usually talk about scientists <laughs> doing. Um, right. But that's, you know, scientists are still people and they still do weird stuff like that. This so, okay. True. But, um, yeah, I mean, he was an, inter- an interesting guy. He hmm. was not always well-liked. It sounds like he basically, he thought very highly of himself. He was very, very confident. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of a funny guy. Like, he would, like, playing pranks on people when he was 
on the Manhattan Project, he really enjoyed breaking into people's lockers, like their personal lockers, uh-huh. by just guessing what their combinations might be based <laughs> on, yeah, based on kind of, he would guess like nerdy physics sort of combinations that people might have, like constants. He would he would be like, oh, I wonder if his combination is this this constant. And it, sometimes it would work. It was like the STEM equivalent of password ABC123. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so he would go around, guess people's combinations or just try until he got them. And then he would kind of leave signs that he'd been in their locker. And this is us on a, you know, on top secret project. So everyone's totally on re- a high alert. Like, oh yeah. my God, is anyone, is there a spy am- amongst us who's trying to steal this information? And then and meanwhile, he's like messing with them by breaking into their stuff and kind of moving things around like, that spy folded my underwear <laughs> <laughs> so he totally you know scared people all the time and uh, whatever but um but yeah and he fancied himself like a pickup artist before even that term existed Blarf. like he liked going to bars or at cornell he would basically impersonate or just pretend to be an undergrad so that he could hit Ew. on undergrad no. girls oh. and stuff so mm. stuff like that i mean he yeah he, so he did not suffer from low self-esteem like some of our other brunch guests have you know like so, well, so many scientists i feel like that we've covered have been so shy excess of morality like yeah. i know <laughs> leave undergrads alone I know. so it's kind of gross mm. um so that, that so basically that was his deal like he was this brilliant physicist who was just kind of skeezy. And so it's like this complicated situation and what it and people argue all the time about whether or not we should use him as an example of like oh a scientist who mm. was so brilliant and mm. we can kind of look up to him. I mean cuz like Einstein had his his quirks too yep. like he was not a, an all-around you know perfect person mm-hmm. he didn't do stuff like this exactly um well that we know of <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah so it, and a lot of people kind of worshipped him as like a scientific hero and then upon learning more about him were like oh maybe i shouldn't worship him yeah. so much and maybe he's not a great hero or, and, and he's and he's clearly not a good role model but he was a great scientist so i don't know it's just yeah. it's this thing it's like well Clearly, he contributed a lot, and we're going to get more into the science in a second, but you don't have to be a great person, I guess. I mean, you know, that's that's your thing. Right. But, yeah. But, it's still kind of icky. Yeah. So to, it's, yeah. It's complicated. I mean, we want to, we want people that are amazing scientists that win, no, who win Nobel prizes and give us great quotables about science. Yeah. We want those to also be good people that we can tell students about and they can live up to. But then, but I don't know. I mean, scientists are just any, like any other person. So do we have to hold them to a different, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a kind of an interesting philosophical question. Yeah. It's it, what it reminds me of is how people, when they vote for a president, they, they're like, well, I could really have a beer with that guy. And then mm. I really like him as a person. And it's like, well, you don't have to be likable to do a good job running the country. So I feel like we're like talking about two different things when yeah. sometimes people vote for someone that they just like. And it's like, but you also, clearly we don't want something, someone who's a terrible person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's also the availability of information. So like modern scientists, we're going to have much more information documented about them. You know, that doesn't have a chance to get lost or has more of a chance of being, having been published and like you can find it. So like Sir Isaac Newton, maybe he was a complete skeezball who went to strip join every night, but we don't know because those records don't exist. Or if they ever did exist, they're gone. It was so long ago. So yeah, I think like going forward, it's going to be even harder to find heroes because you just know more about people and people are flawed and sometimes terrible. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're just terrible humans and they do good work. Yeah, I think it's just, it just has to be kind of a teachable moment because some people, some people are like, he was such a terrible person. Let's not even like mention him. Let's just kind of, of course, let's, you know, talk about quantum physics but let's just kind of leave him out of it as let's like let's remove him from this the scientific you know hero worship like yeah let's, let's not do that let's let's just like pretend he doesn't didn't exist or something and other people are like no he was he was such a cool guy and oh and that everyone was sexist back then so it's cool <laughs> so that those are context kind of the, those are the two sides of the spectrum yeah and of course you know we kind of should be in the middle we should say yeah he was a brilliant scientist he was amazing he was very much like Einstein he yeah. would. He barely even wrote anything down. He hmm. wouldn't like most physicists, you know, have their equations and went and they're scribbling down and they're kind of, you know, writing down hmm. the equation, working out all the math and being like, oh, this is this. He would just do it all in his head. 
because I mean, again, he was like the late talker because he's just so in his head. He's a very huh. visual thinker. He can kind of see everything. He's, you know, his mind is an amazing place. And he would just come up with the answer. Like it was magic. And huh. people are like, how did you do that? I don't understand. So super, super brilliant. But, but yeah, so that's great. And we can talk about that and we can talk about other stuff we did. And then, yeah, you don't want to go the extra step and be like, he was the most amazing person in the world. Right. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's unfortunate. It would be so much easier if he was also just like the nicest guy ever. <laughs> well, there's also like levels of skis, like how much you want to do the whole hero worship thing or even just talk about their work in general. Like my policy is mostly if they're a super skis, terrible person, as long as they're dead <laughs> and not profiting from yeah. any of, you know, the talk about them, then I feel like eh, it's... Yeah, little, that's that's a good point, too. A little slightly more... And, and most of the stuff that we know about him is, uh, like, the, the you know, kind of seedy stuff is from his own memoirs. So it's not like it's hearsay. I mean, he yeah. was very... And that's the other thing that's so funny is he's so upfront about the fact that he liked, you know pretending he was an undergrad or going to bars and, and like something about how like the best way to get a you know a lady at a bar is to make her feel like worthless it's like wait what that is that is like That's, a standard of the pickup artist like, uh, philosophy like ew um what's it called negging yeah i think that's yeah you're yeah right, you're right ugh, ugh, ugh. yeah so um <laughs> So yeah, so it's not, so we're not being unfair. I mean, he was very upfront and kind of proud of yeah, it. No shame. Yeah. So. Which may be perhaps the worst part. Cause like if you, if you behave that way as a, you know, a younger person and then you realize later, you're like, oh, I, I, that was terrible. Yeah. You know, I feel like yeah, you should, there's room for forgiveness. Yeah. What I think it, what it has reminded me of is how people that are super, super overconfident, even when it, there's stuff to back it up. Like this guy was a brilliant scientist. He got a Nobel prize. He did a lot of amazing things with quantum physics. Cool. But I just don't like people that are that confident. I kind of like people when they hate themselves just a little bit, <laughs> just a little, like not completely like, don't just be like sad all the time, but yeah. everyone should have like a healthy amount of self-hatred. Or self-doubt or, <laughs> you know, one of those, one of those things. Yeah. Like, don't, I don't know. Yeah. People think that they're so amazing sometimes bug me. So what was his actual contribution to science then? Let's, okay, cool. Let's get this. Yeah. So, so he, <laughs> he worked with quantum physics, which just to back up for a second. So physics that we think about and take in school is really about everything kind of on the scale that we can see how mm -hmm. things move, how things behave. He was really interested in um, much smaller things. So he predicted, you know, the existence of a sixth quark. Um, he, oh God. I mean, he did work with super cooled helium because it behaved when it's seriously almost at zero Kelvin, which mm -hmm. is absolute zero where it's like a theoretical temperature that's so cold where, that all, where all ato atomic motion stops yeah so right? it's like it's basically impossible i mean people yeah like tr are trying to get as close to it as possible to see how things behave so when things are that cold sort of the laws of physics start to break down just mm -hmm. like the laws of physics start to break down as you approach the speed of light it's like at these extremes it's like what is happening yeah <laughs> um, so he worked with um, supercooled helium, which mm -hmm. basically stops acting like you would expect it on this, you know, macro scale. It starts behaving very in a very quantum way because its behavior is more like how protons and neutrons behave. It's like, what's it, what is it doing? Yeah. Um, so stuff with that, I mean, he, some of his work, uh, informed quantum computers, which didn't exist while he was alive, mm -hmm. but he kind of predicted them and some of his work, you know, related to that. And so quantum computers backing up again, I mean, we're not even going to be able to get into all of his stuff because yeah. it's too quantum. Yeah. <laughs> quantum. It's like, I love the word quantum. It's one of those kind of just like sciencey nonsense words we'll yeah. throw around just to sound <laughs> impressive. It's also a big indicator of pseudoscience because they're like, oh yes, well, this is based on quantum. Like wait, right? And what and we should say it doesn't even like, mean anything. The whole the whole field of quantum physics and quantum computing is still being debated. Mm -hmm. Like the, there's a feeling, you know, there's there's some people, there are some companies that have developed quantum chips, like computer chips, but it's still debatable whether they actually operate in a quantum way. So there are researchers trying to like they've already verify built the chip, it, yeah, and now they're just trying with through testing, trying to verify if it's actually a quantum chip. Or if it's a classic 
you know, computer chip. Right. How is it behaving? They, they just have theories of how a quantum chip would behave. And so then they're trying to see if everything lines up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of like... Yeah, it's like the ghost of physics. It's like, is it really there? Exactly. Like, yeah. There's the whole debate of like, oh, is this really a thing? We can't tell because it's hard to test. It's hard to, you know. Yeah, because the thing about things that operate on this level is that observing them changes their behavior. So right. it, and it's, it's like Schrodinger stuff. It's like, if you check, to, if you look inside the quantum computer, you've messed it up. Yep. Like the whole, the only way that it works is if you don't look. I mean, it, it, it sounds fake. I mean, you know. <laughs> Right, because the whole thing about was it a quantum particle is in both states at once. It's in two states at once. Yeah, because regular computers have all of their bits of information. It's like on and off. It's binary. It's zeros and ones that are making your computer run. But quantum computers can be in both states. So it can process infinitely more information. Mm -hmm. And so quantum computers, theoretically, you know, when, when we have this down, if we ever do, we'll be able to basically solve like the most complicated co- and complex problems that which, are, you know, like 10,000 regular computers would take like years to do. Right. A quantum computer theoretically could do stuff like that. Because like, a classic computer has to run through all the options <clears throat> kind of right. linearly, like zero one zero one yeah. zero one or whatever. But a quantum computer can see all those options at once. And decide which one is the best. Exactly. It's like optimization, which is really complex. Like yeah. what is the best way to do this, incre- this, this problem that has 10,000 steps? How should it, we do it? Mm-hmm. And the quantum computer theoretically would be able to do that for you. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's not like we're going to have a, a quantum laptop at home. Like this is not like that sort of, like that's not what the application will be. Right. Like, these will be like very specialized things that are used to solve the world's most complex problems. Yeah. So he, yeah, he was, he was the quantum guy. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was his jam. And this was all in theory. Like they hadn't yeah, built anything all of, yet. All of his stuff was theoretical physics. Gotcha. Um, this was in like the fifties, sixties. Yeah. And yeah, he taught at Caltech. He was such a mover and a shaker that they asked him to kind of basically redo how they taught freshman physics at Caltech. His, you know, kind of lectures on physics became a book. And then he started writing memoirs. And that's how that kind of added to his star power. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure he probably would have been obviously a really famous physicist because he won a Nobel Prize. But he all of his writing was really kind of cemented him as this mainstay of, of science and physics, you know, physicists and why everybody knows about him. Um, and it, it was in those memoirs that he shared a lot of these stories. Mm. And he, you know, was such a jokester. And he, you know, thought a lot of himself. And a lot of other scientists were not a huge fan because they kind of thought that he was... Like, too flashy. Yeah. Or just yeah. just or just found himself too amusing. They were like, well, he seems like he spends a lot of time making up anecdotes about himself. So I don't know about this guy. <laughs> I feel like there's plenty of academics who still feel that way. Like yeah. whenever one of the faculty gets too much press or right. is too fond of appearing on yeah, some people get the news. People jealous. get a little jealous or they just think, oh, that's not your place. Yeah. Like you're an academic. What are you doing? Right. Talking to people. Right. You should be in the lab. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's this, it's this thing. And the reason that we talk about scientists as much as we talk about science on this show is because, you know, you can't, people would love to separate those. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, that was where all the stuff, you know, around science march being like, well, so, is science political? And it's like, well, yeah. it doesn't exist in some kind of fantasy world where there are no people. <laughs> and, you know, like people do the science. And so it is inherently just like any other human endeavor. Yeah. It's imperfect. And, and people come with all this baggage. And some people get kind of weighed back because, you know, people undervalue them as a human being. And so their work isn't as, you know, that's, there's yeah. tons of stuff happening. So we want to talk about the people. But just as much as, you know, science is political, we have to remember that just because you're a scientist doesn't mean you have to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that vision of, oh, a scientist has no sense of humor and doesn't go to bars and hit on women. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, it doesn't like... exist in a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he really broke the stereotype in a lot of ways for better and for worse, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it would, it would be cool if he was just this amazing quantum physicist and theoretical physicist who was a super prankster jokester, joker guy who was just really charismatic and silly. But unfortunately, you know, he was also kind of, you know, like we said, just kind of, yeah, kind of sleazy. I mean, maybe if you knew him, you know, personally, he was pretty nice. I mean, I think the story about him and his first wife is really sweet. And so some people have excused all of his behavior after that. It's like, well, he was just so heartbroken. So that's why he was so Mm. terrible. Mm. Um, And the other thing that people often mention to kind of disprove any, any sexist attitudes that he had was that um, the first female professor at Caltech did not get tenure 
and sued, you know, for discrimination and they ruled in her favor and they, they found that she was just absolutely discriminated against. Hmm. And at that time, a lot of the other professors at Caltech were just like, well, you know, just kind of bad mouthing her. And he always defended her hmm. because he happened to like her and thought that she was really great. And so he 100%, um, you know, stood behind her. So people are like, well, he can't be sexist if he, you know, stood with her on that. And it's, and it's which of course is very like, well, I can't be racist if I have a friend who's different than me. Yep. Yep. That <laughs> argument. Unfortunately, oh. that is not how it works. Right. <laughs> you don't get a pass. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah yeah all right yeah so so um, he won a nobel prize and yeah and then fancy the other reason he is is very well known although maybe not you know at the level of einstein i don't know if the Mm. average person has heard a whole lot about feynman other than maybe just his name but he was the one or one of the ones who figured out what went wrong with the challenger disaster really that was yeah something else he did so when the challenger uh blew up Mm -hmm. 1986 uh everyone of course was super shocked uh and he was tasked with kind of going through and figuring out what went wrong so he went through all the departments and 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 interviewed the engineers Mm. uh was looking at sort of the materials they used and he figured out that it was a seal that was not uh didn't behave well at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, which for all of our European listeners is zero degrees Celsius. So it was, you know, at the freezing point. And at that freezing point, this material did not hold a seal. The seal broke, fuel, you know, leaked out, a big explosion, and it was terrible. Mm -hmm. So on top of the fact that he figured it out and um, people watched him on TV, he basically did a demo in Hmm. the... um, the test testimony yeah um, yeah where he took that material that the it was an o-ring so a little seal yeah. but he dropped it into um you know three freezing water you know ice water and it shrank and he was like so that's what happened it shrank when it shouldn't have yeah. and so it didn't hold a seal and and he kind of was like you guys should have known that they did know I remember learning about this in school. Some of the later. Engineer, yeah. and that was the other thing that he was trying to drive home was that when he talked to all of the top level NASA people, they were like, "Yeah, I mean, there was a one in one hundred thousand chance that this would happen." Because mm. of course, no one's gonna be like, "Yeah, there's a zero percent chance of thing going wrong." Right. They thought it was such a such a small chance. But then he talked to the engineers, and they were like, "Well, yeah, we knew there was a one in one hundred chance that something that this might happen." Yeah. And thought something would go wrong. And so some, yeah, so some of the engineers knew things that the top level executives didn't know. And he was saying that when they recruited, um, you know, the teacher program that, you know, some of the people on, on the ship were, you know, teachers and it was going to be this big publicity, wonderful thing. And, you know, great PR opportunity. He was saying, you put PR Mm. above safety. You told Mm -hmm. that, you know, these people that it was so safe when your engineers knew it wasn't that yeah. safe, how could you have said that to them when you like, did you not talk to your engineers or did you know and lie? Like both of those are terrible. It, like, was, it was a traumatic event on all fronts, yeah. I think. And so he didn't pull any punches. I, I don't yeah. think the people at NASA probably thought he was such a great guy when he was the one that figured it out and was like, this is on you guys. Well, I think the engineer I mean, of who, course it is. who brought the warning, because, you know, they have mm-hmm. they have a launch window, so they have, like, several times over a couple days where they, they can possibly launch a spacecraft. Right. And at the time, I think it was might have been their last window. I can't remember. I think it was delayed. They the weather was such that I think it was too cold mm-hmm. and too humid or something, which affected that O ring's performance, and the engineer who knew that it would the performance would be affected, actually tried to alert his superiors. You know, say, oh, actually, you know, under these conditions, the chances of things going wrong actually increase, and they ended up ignoring that warning. But that engineer, I think, just this year passed away. There was I, a big he interview. He wrote something about it just like a year ago, right? There was an interview on NPR, I think, right, with him, and right. he still he was still, still trying guilty. to live down the yeah. guilt of not having done more. And of course, yeah. he had done what he could do in his position to mm-hmm. to alert everyone, and and really, like, if they weren't going to listen to him, they weren't going to listen to him. That, that's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, you know, however many years later, like thirty years, twenty years later, he was still so guilt-ridden over that incident yeah because you know i I mean i remember the challenger disaster like it was horrific and everyone watched it on television and you know i i was i was living in houston at the time so we we watched it you know and uh, i mean we watched it on television Mm -hmm. 
and it was yeah i mean i remember it it was exploded in the sky like everyone could see it so yeah i can't imagine that and i I guess kudos to Feynman for Mm -hmm. for laying down the law in terms of what went wrong because i think after that there was a lot of you know trying to point the finger and yeah you know figuring out exactly what went wrong and you know it's worse that they actually knew Mm -hmm. that yeah they were told in advance yeah this this might go wrong and they ignored it yeah so there was a lot of introspection at nasa after that yeah oh yeah for sure i mean it's something that i'm sure they still talk about all the time it is always kind of in the back of their minds and everything yeah it kind of it reminds me of that um that canadian tradition that engineers have they wear a little ring on their pinky you heard about Hmm. this no okay um, people have been saying that there should be, you know, more traditions like this. So when you get your engineering degree in Canada, you get this little ring that you wear on your pinky that, um, is meant to make some noise as you move your hand across when you're doing your calculations and mm. you're kind of working out all the work that in- informs your, and your design as you're building a bridge or whatever you're doing. Yeah. It's supposed to make a little noise. So you always remember that you your calculations affect people's lives mm. and it, it is your duty to do it correctly because you are you're, you have that responsibility and yeah. it's supposed to remind you of that every time that you foosh your you know your hand across the paper mm. as you're calculating something like this matters don't mess it up <laughs> yeah that's that's not a bad idea actually yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I even, I was reading a, like a long read about that concept and how uh, more computer scientists mm-hmm. need to have some sort of a duty like that because when companies kind of launch and, you know, they have a bunch of people writing all the code, there's like no sense of responsibility for that code working well, even yeah. though, even though everything's virtual and it's, you're not building a bridge, you're still building things that if they don't work well, could endanger people. You know, if systems mm-hmm. go down and, you know, communications don't work, you know, you still have to remember that people's lives will be affected yeah. if you mess up. Yeah. I mean, and all this, infrastructure is based on computer code right, at this point. Like, right. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and sometimes everything's done in such a rush. Yeah. I mean, so, so they, someone basically person was just writing about how he wants computer engineers to feel the same level of responsibility as someone who is a structural engineer hmm. and who, you know, don't let this building collapse. Also, please don't let our internet collapse. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> please. Internet kind of important. Yeah. So <laughs> Richard, uh, he got a very, very rare form of cancer called liposarcoma. Uh, uh, huh. Lipo meaning lipids, meaning fat tissue, yeah. same root as liposuction. He had this football-sized tumor <gasps> removed. Ugh. God. I mean, tumors shouldn't get that big. Yeah. I think they should just not <laughs> just not get that big. They should be limited. Yeah. The, the last anecdote I have for you are his last words. Oh, boy. I'd hate to die twice. It's so boring. <laughs> so, again... Sense of humor. Yeah. He sounds like he was a legitimately funny guy. Yeah. Which... And I'm glad that he went against that stereotype of, of scientists being, like, robot people yeah. that have no feelings. Unfortunately, he had other feelings <laughs> that I wish he didn't have quite so right. much or that we just didn't know about. Like, couldn't he have taken all that stuff to the grave and there not told us about it? There you go. If you're a terrible person, take awesome it to the scientist, grave. please just don't tell us don't about it. Don't tell anyone. Like, let us think that you were so great. <laughs> you know? No, that's so now, not true either. So now the big question, hmm. do we invite him to brunch? I'm going to say yeah. Okay. Because, first of all, I want, I want to see this guy yeah in the flesh he kind of looked like ewan mcgregor okay not my cup of tea yeah i'm not not, a big ewan fan i don't like saying (laughs) ewan isn't it you either way it's spelled ew um i'm sorry i'm sorry ewan this is not about you (laughs) but yeah I, i i think so i mean there are a lot of i think un desirables that i would have brunch with just to experience it once just to just to see you know and but you know we'd we'd have to make a pact not to be shy about calling out any shenanigans yeah because yeah if if people are gross then i'm I'm just gonna tell you you're being gross we'll we'll have you know a drink on our table to throw at him yeah it'll be fine he gets he gets one strike like you, you get you get a warning, and then you get punched. <laughs> that's that's my that's so, my, my way oh, of operating. Hold, hold on a second. So you're saying that we'll have brunch with him so that you can punch him? Well, no, 
But if he says something sexist or terrible, I'm going to be like, hey, no, <laughs> let's not, let's yeah, not do that. That actually gets to one of my, I was going to make this point. If your name is Richard, uh-huh. you really should try to be a good person. This is true. Otherwise you're just you're asking just, to get a nickname. You're just setting yourself up. Yeah. But yeah, then if he does it a second time, then, then that's where the punching comes in. I don't just call off and punch people. I'm not like a complete heathen. She's lying. She does it all the time. <laughs> I give people a chance and then I give them not a chance. So, so we shouldn't judge him until we've punched him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's up to, it's up to him whether he wants to be punched or not. Yeah. I think, so I think he's an interesting person to have on the, on, on the show and and to talk about because everyone has to come to their own sort of conclusion about him. Like I said, how, to what extent do you have to be a likable person to be a scientific celebrity and is it required that they conduct themselves in a certain way? Of course not. I mean, yeah, you can still be really good at what you do and be a total, total <clears throat> ass, but it's the hero worship part, right? You don't have People to be a good ex- person to do yeah, good what science. You can't, what, you, what you can't do is say that he is, should still be a scientific hero because that stuff doesn't matter. Right. Right. So you have to just look, yeah. yeah, you look at the whole thing and just be very honest about it. Cause I've, I've read things that kind of excuse away the stuff that he did. And it's like, yeah, mm. well, but eh, it was a different time. And he was such a great scientist. Like, does it really matter? And it's like, well, I, it, it does, but that doesn't take, that doesn't mean that he didn't do amazing things with quantum physics and wasn't like the, a super, super smart guy. Although Joan had a higher IQ. <laughs> well also let's not forget like all these undergrads that he hit on mm-hmm. or whatever like that affected yeah, them exactly. and their studies yeah, it's and not this a, is the whole it's science not a victimless and political crime. exactly yeah so that's the thing is like it's one thing if you're just kind of in general a jerk actually i mean even if you're just a jerk and you know because you you have yeah you have students and you have people that might need your help and if you're just a jerk and they have then they don't get your expertise because ugh, yeah, so even if you're just a general jerk and not a, a specifically a sexist jerk, it still affects people. Yes. And that's and that's not fair. So, yeah, so are you going to be there when I when I punch him inevitably apparently? I might I might film it <laughs> and then tweet it or something. <laughs> you can sit at the next table over. <laughs> I'll just kind of sit there and just like have have my elbow on the back of my chair and just go, "Really? <laughs> really, Richard?" I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I'll probably, I'll, I'll come and just kind of glare at him. So really, <laughs> what's your deal, man? I'll be like, I don't know her. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, everyone, as we talked about our most controversial Science Brunch guest. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I, you know, let us know what you think and, and let us know if there's another controversial character you'd like us to tackle and invite to brunch so that we can punch them. Yeah, I'm up for it. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see you next time. Bye.